0: The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, coming to you as usual from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia, and we're streaming live on com. You can reach us on Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com or also on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And again, as we like to remind you every week, these programs are podcasted on com, and are all archived. And we will be back with our first segment here of today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio right after this message from our very, very good friends at Kendall.
1: Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults, and it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approach to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org.
0: Good day and welcome again to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. And we are pleased to welcome back to the microphone... um, Dr. Kathy Cholik from the University of Delaware, Professor, Director of Clinical Education. Kathy, are you there?
2: I am. Can you hear me?
0: I gotcha. How are you?
2: Doing great. Thank you. How about you?
0: I'm hanging in. You know, we're waiting for the sun eventually. Rumor has it that it's out there. Um, And uh, it has been seen in other parts of the world, but evidently it's not. Be, it's not for the Delaware Valley this this month. We're
2: all anxious, as, as are you.
0: So, um, well, first of all, welcome back, Kathy, to to the show. I know you were with us uh, about a, I think about a year ago.
2: Yes, it's been great.
0: And um, you are a professor down at the University of Delaware, and a physical therapist. I think a doctor of physical therapy. Am I am I correct? that 's correct,, so we want to talk a little bit about um, something that 's very, very real to increasing number of baby boomers, and that is the, this the whole um, recovery physical therapy aspect, and one other issue that that really has come up um, especially for those of us who have taken care of. Our parents, and sometimes uh, as we get a little older, first uh, as first wage, uh, first stage baby boomers uh, now getting into their seventies, uh, and that is the whole issue of of how do we prevent falls? Because falls, we keep hearing, and you'll tell us, I guess, hopefully, the statistics. Falls are very, very dangerous, and really can really restructure an entire person's life. Um, Talk to me about the danger of falls, the t- the statistics of falls amongst baby boomers, and um, what's going on with fall prevention on a national level.
2: Sure, so um, you know what what we know for uh, people as they age, their increased risk of falls, and um, when you look at the statistics, people over the age of sixty five um, one in three will will potentially have a fall in, in any given year. And so, you know, sometimes the falls aren't um, necessarily causing an injury. You, you may just stumble or, um, you know, slightly lose your balance and, and recover. Uh, but, you know, when, when a fall happens and um, it has a fracture result, uh, certainly the statistics are very unpleasant for how it can impact um, your mobility afterwards and in quality of life. And another thing we really look at on our side is um, a, a subsequent fear of falling and when when people fear falling, they tend to self limit their activities, and um, that just creates this whole bad cascade of events
0: so I mean, many of us um, have experienced this either firsthand or with care as as a caregiver and I know there 's a movement um, to to house proof if that 's the correct word mm-hmm. um, a, a, a domicile, a residence. For falling. And I know in public institutions, little things like on a, on a day like this, uh, uh, where it's often on rain, putting rubber mats down when you, you know, you enter a building and stuff like that. Could you just give us like um, the basic, you know, somebody may be thinking about this now, the basic how to fall proof a house? So,
2: um, you know, the first thing you kind of really want to do uh, is look at, the floors. I mean, that's that's one kind of area. What type of um, carpeting are you having? Sometimes thick carpet is is nice from one perspective, um, but other times, if you're not picking up your feet enough when you walk, it it can make your feet scuff and lead to a fall risk. Um, other issues were making sure um, on your door jams between surfaces that they're as level as can be, so there's not like a lip. Um, that's going to cause, a, again, another trip hazard. Other things like throw rugs, um, they're kind of the bane of a physical therapist's existence. Um, most people are very attractive. They're they're very um, pretty, pretty in homes, but if they're not tacked down really well, any of those transitional surfaces are really where we can see a higher risk for falls happening. The next one you can kind of look at is lighting. You know, is, are you using appropriately lighting, particularly on a, on a rainy day like today? Um, hopefully people have some light on indoors, um, and making sure that there's enough light to be able to see any obstacles that may have been left by someone else or, um, any pets that are moving around the house and that, that you're not going to be tripping or falling over them. Um, looking, making sure extension cords aren't covering any walkway, uh, um, legs of chairs, you know, those different kinds of things that can stick out. Um, if you have steps in your home, making sure you're not leaving things on the steps to carry upstairs. I know I'm, that's probably one of my worst offenders in my home. Um, you kind of put a pile there to take up the next time you go. But anything on the stairs, if you're really not looking, can add. And, and falls on stairs are just certainly um, a little more scary because you have a longer distance to go. Should you lose your balance?
0: What about uh, Bill? Can I just press press you on the stairs things because I know it. Uh, how dangerous are stairs, especially when you know when we get a little older? I, I, I'm I'll be honest with you. I live in a house where we have a flight of stairs that is I consider just a disaster waiting to happen. It's, it's open, they're open. It's an open staircase. And are there are there differences between open staircases and cl- closed staircases and stairs without railings and with railings? And 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 could you just talk a little bit? Because it seemed to me that's a major major challenge
2: it is and and you know we are are big advocates of having a, a a railing at least on one side preferably both um certainly if you have a problem with say, with one arm you know having the rail only on one side isn't particularly helpful in one direction or the other so, you know, trying to make sure that there's an option, at least, um, for railing an, an open stairwell with with nothing on the side is, it was, is, just, is, you're right, is a disaster waiting to happen. And some of the challenges we see in, in some older homes, um, particularly uh, townhomes and, and older city homes, is that, you know, the stairs could be certainly um, not to code or, you know, of a certain height. And so you have a higher step Is um, the tread wearing away on them, and so you're you're more likely to slip. Um, we, we can make stairs um, be much more functional sometimes if they're not aesthetically pretty, making sure that there's either some tread put on them, um, non-skid-type strips can be used, um, that you're good with practicing the height of them and that you're comfortable with stepping up the height. But other things like making sure you're not carrying too much in your arms when you're going up or down um, so you can really see where the step is and, and you can and/or just hold something in one hand and hold on the rail on the other.
0: And, and one other area that that I've been told uh, is also problematic or can be problematic, and can you just talk to us about uh, bathrooms?
2: Yep. Yeah, bathrooms are, are the other place. Um, you you take a typically non-carpeted room, because they're usually tile, since there's water around, um, and add water. Um, it's that. that and you're barefoot. Usually, you know, people aren't there in, in shoes of any kind. And so that's just, again, another option. So, you know, is there um, non-skin strips specifically in the tub or shower or at least a rough enough base that you're not going to slide? If you're standing in there, um, do you need a grab rail or um, grab bar to be able to step over the lip of the tub if you're stepping into a tub um, or even the smaller lip of, of some showers? And then when you come out, is there a place to be able to step out onto if you're, if you're stepping through um, that will allow you to um, put your feet on something that will let you dry off um, before you start walking across the tile floor. There's a lot of adaptions that can be done, too. Um, There are tub seats and tub benches. If you're uncertain or scared about standing in a a shower or tub, that will let you. They're meant to get wet. You can sit down on them. You can get a handheld shower attachment if you need to uh, feel more comfortable bathing when sitting down. Because the other piece with the shower is if if you're in washing your hair, shutting your eyes, tilting your head back, um, it's it's a great position to lose your balance in.
0: Yeah. I remember, I I, I remember with my mom, one of the first things is when she moved into her assisted living, we we went out and got a a shower chair. Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. And, and so are you as, as, um, an expert on this? Do you get consulted with co- about building? Because I've seen increasing numbers of articles. In fact, I we just posted one that was in on the Times, I think, uh, on, on my Facebook page of the website about architects now redesigning homes specifically for aging baby boomers with these things in mind: wider doors for wheelchairs or walkers. Adapted bathrooms with the rails and the holders, not the, the step-in showers. Um, mm-hmm. Are you seeing? Are, are you seeing a real increase in this as, as home builders and architects really understand that there is a growth growth market here as baby boomers age?
2: Yeah. That, well, there's a very large. They call it like aging in place
0: mm-hmm.
3: um,
2: kind of motion, where they're trying to design a home or a community of homes um, that will allow somebody to. Perhaps um, if they're not being as physically active and they're starting to see an increase in perhaps a a disability level, that they are still able to function within their home. And and that involves, like you were talking about, you know, wider doors. Most doorways are not meant to accommodate a wheelchair going through. So um, is there a bedroom and bathroom on the first level? Even if it's a multi-story home, could you at least sustain living on one level um, without having to do stairs? Although, you know stairs can also sometimes be a good exercise option so um but or is it a place where you could have a stair or chair you know that, that would take you up a lot of homes are very narrow stairs and so that really makes it a challenge to fit you, the you, go ahead i'm sorry you know, the industry is definitely working with um Aging in place, uh, and and I think you know there's some different studies going on. There was one down in Baltimore that was really looking at for some lower income to be able to, if we could make like a certain number of modifications to the home with with some funding, um, would that allow people to be able to live better um, in their homes longer?
0: So this just occurred to me when you were talking about this. Um, do, do you find in, in your work and in, in with? With, especially with baby tumors, there's even though they may have fallen or they may be sort of every once in a while noticing that their balance is off, some sense of denial. In other words, now this is really not, it, it, it was just a rainy day. It was, this is really not happening to me. I don't have to do this.
2: Absolutely. Um, nobody wants to think that they're having problems. Um, and, and if we don't pay attention to them, they go away, right? And so, um there, it's interesting because there's a couple questions that have become fairly uh, recognizable standard for a physical therapy intake, but also your primary care doctor should be asking when you go. And that's to have you had a fall in the last year. Uh, that has been, um, there's literature supporting that when that question's asked and answered. Truthfully, um, it really helps from a screening purposes because if you've had a fall in the last year, it may have just been environmental, right? If it was an icy surface, we certainly got away with the winter, I think, a little bit this year. But last year we had more opportunities for ice and and slippery surfaces, or it could be that there's an internal problem. So some medications can increase falls. So if we ask that question of everyone, um, really we should have a decision tree. If if you report a fall in the last year, w- there are things that we then need to ask more questions about. Were you injured? If you were injured and had a fall in the last year, you really need to be screened to see is your balance um, something we can fix. Is it medication based? Was it environmental hazard that needs to be changed? So there's a, there's kind of a series of questions that should come, and and people shouldn't be afraid to answer those questions because if we do a screen and don't find anything. Then, then we're not going to force you to do an exercise program or something if you're not interested. But we do have options to help um, address balance deficits. Um, and certainly if you have that and you have a fear of falling, fear of falling can be so limiting. And there's a lot more data coming out on that now that we have some better tools to record it. And, and we, can, we can show you what you're really capable of doing and hopefully um, diminish that fear or keep it at an appropriate level.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned uh, the drug interaction, too, because last week's one of last week's guests um, really spoke to the need to talk to your pharmacist and your care phys- primary care physician like you just did about making sure that people who are on multiple medications, that the medications get along with each other because some of the times, as you're mentioning, the side effects could be rather uh, challenging. We're speaking with uh, yeah. Kathy Cholick, um Director of Clinical Education and professor at the University of Delaware on physical therapy, a doctorate. She has a doctorate in physical therapy. And we'll be back with Kathy. I want to talk a little bit about uh, how our generation is dealing with this explosion of uh, joint replacement uh, surgery, which seems to be the the thing. Uh, Everybody's doing it. And we'll be doing that right after this message from our friends uh, at Kendall.
4: Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128.
0: Welcome back to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from WWDB-AM860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And we're streaming live all over the civilized universe on the Internet at WWDBAM.com. I hope the civilized universe, what's left of it. And we're speaking with Kathy Cholik uh, from the University of Delaware, professor, director of clinical education, doctorate in physical therapy, so, Kathy, um, it just seems that if you haven't had a hip replacement, and knee replacement, you're just not in. And um, it just seems to be the the, uh, the, the I guess, the operation du jour or degeneration. So t- talk to me a little bit about um, the the recovery aspect of this. And there seems to be, because I know I have several friends of mine who have gone through these things, A variety of different approaches to these surgeries and different rehabs and therapies post uh, post operation is all is that true?
2: Well, yeah So there's, um, I found a statistic that says there's about seven million people who have a a joint replacement who have had it um, in the history of of record keeping from Medicare perspective, and about um, there's been almost 200 percent, like 188 percent increase in total knee replacements. Um, amongst the 45 to 64, so the young boomers age group. So this, is, you're right, this is kind of the surgery du jour. Um, I think part of it is uh, we know the life history of, of the implants now a little bit better, and we know that um, getting it while you're younger um, in that baby boomer, younger age group, um, it, it, the life of the implant should, should be sustainable for the rest of your life. Uh, and because it used to be they would kind of waited as long as possible to do them and and now um, some of the research that we know at least from the recovery aspect is you know We you we really want to encourage people if they're going to have it done to do it while they're still strong and fairly mobile um As opposed to waiting till they're they're so debilitated from it that they've they've really gotten weak so there's a couple different kinds. the the a total knee replacement or arthroplasty is um, the, probably the most common surgery. That, so, a total joint replacement of the knee, and it takes you know the um, lower part of the um, of the femur and the upper part of the tibia, and, and essentially recovers them because that's where the arthritis has worn away, and and that's the pain that people get. Um, and and that's there's pretty uh, mostly a pretty standardized approach. There may be some tweaks, but for the most part, most places are doing. A general total knee the same um, when it comes to hip replacements there are a c- couple different approaches that can be used the implants are, are basically the same but how you get there because if you can think from the knee it's pretty exposed but the hip has a lot of tissue around it so the approach that they use means how much tissue they need to move around or perhaps cut to be able to get into the bone level and so those approaches can vary by surgeon um, and that leads to different precautions afterwards Um, And and that can impact um, how aggressive therapy can be, how quickly.
0: Is there a standard or paradigm for in these joint replacements for for post-surgery physical therapy rehab? I mean, is it six months, a year, two days?
2: Um, (laughs) So, you know, well, it's come a long way. It used to be you were in for, you know, three to seven days. Now you might be in one to three days, depending. Um, Some of them are being looked at, some of the hips. Replacements are being looked at very from minimally invasive, so they're almost overnight. Um, and then you go home for, for therapy or to rehab. Uh, some of the payment guidelines are restricting how many people with total joints can go to a traditional inpatient rehab. And the surgeons have gotten a lot better, and the therapy is better. So a lot of people are going home either with home therapy or to outpatient. Um, and you know, it's interesting that I was going through trying to see what the are there specific clinical practice guidelines that are generally approved? And it's one of the areas that there is not specific. Um, a lot of institutions have their own, um, but generally we see people um, for about twelve weeks um, on, on the long end. Some people shorter, um, but really our goal is to make sure we can restore the range of the motion so the joint can bend and straighten in all the ways that it needs to. Um, that we can get the strength up to really be allowing you to do the things you want to do and that you're functional so that you can walk, um, drive, sit, get off the toilet, do all those really important tasks and do them safely.
0: Right, those activities of daily living, right?
2: You got
0: it. So let me ask you a question because we're going to start to run out of time soon on this segment, and and I think this follows on the uh, discussion about falls and uh, the replacement surgery. We keep seeing a increasing in amount of articles, and I think research for our generation on the efficacy of regular exercise mm-hmm. uh, as a preventive, and also not only just for health, but just as a preventive um, means to ensure balance. Um, you know, keep keep everything going. So, could you talk to a little bit about it as a physical therapist and, and who who studies this and. What's the value of our generation either continuing or st- even starting uh, an exercise program, and is there one that is better than another?
2: Wow. So, yes, please start. Um, <laughs> there, is, there is so much wonderful exor- uh, uh, research on exercise that things we didn't know even 10 years ago, the, you know, the exercise guidelines that, um, are part of the American College of Sports Medicine and endorsed by, um, the American Geriatric Society as well really look at you should be doing some sort of what we call aerobic or, um, endurance type exercise, um, five days a week for about 30 minutes. Now, that can be done in 10 minute bouts, um, and if it's done in a moderate intensity. So, you know, um, we talked and saying, you know, walking where you can still have a conversation, but it should be a little bit of a struggle. Um, to be able to still talk. So, you know, that's the endurance piece from a heart perspective, um, diabetes prevention, uh, even things, uh, and you know, looking at some osteoporosis and um, kind of prevention. The more weight-bearing type exercises that we do, the better. And a lot of what we know we think is aging is really um, just decreased mobility and, and lack of physical activity. And so even starting a walking program, um, is, is going to be uh, helpful for your long term health. So, and, then look, I, oh, go ahead. Okay, that we have strengthening. You know, we look at strengthening programs should optimally be done two or three days a week um, where you're doing about eight to ten resisted exercises for the big muscle groups. And then you can throw in balance and, and stretching kind of activities.
0: So, th- this would be like everything from stationary bike or biking, treadmill. Uh, weight machines, uh, dumbbell, yeah. right, right, and, and alternate yeah. them thirty minutes Probably a day. No.
2: Yeah, you got it, 30 minutes a day. So for something aerobics, so swimming, um, a water aerobics or a land-based aerobics program, um, things like a stair climber or um, a stepper, mm-hmm. uh, a stationary bike. The new step is one of another piece of equipment we can sometimes find in some of the senior places, um, and certainly the treadmill or even just a walking, overground walking program for, for 30 minutes can really meet those um, the basic guidelines of the minimum we know we need to sustain health.
0: So we have about a minute left in this segment. I just want to—I was at a gym recently on the road, and you know, just trying to do a little bit of stuff in the morning. And there was somebody in the gym who had his their iPhone or, or phone, and on the phone there was a voice coming out of there. It seemed like an app, an exercise app, describing the exercise. Are there now these types? There obviously are, but do you know? Exercise apps that you can download is this a good idea for somebody who's just starting?
2: Um, it, certainly most uh, recommendations will say just to check with your doctor for specific for any reasons, medically why you couldn't begin an exercise program, but yeah there there's a lot of different apps um. I don't. I didn't pull any of those up to think about no, no, anything.
0: I, I, I don't want to surprise you, but I, I just saw that literally the other day, and I figured let me ask you about it today.
2: Even even some um, you know, there's like Fitbits, there's motion trackers that you can wear on your arm that are going to tell you if you're having a long period of inactivity, it kind of buzzes as a reminder to get moving a little bit. So I think the technology that is. Um, coming of age is going to change um, the fitness industry um, and, and we can use a the physical therapist to, to encourage our patients to do more and check on them but also I, I always think a reminder to get moving isn't a bad thing. Well, you can look at some exercise programs on um, moveforwardpt.com um, that's from the American Physical Therapy Association. They're, they would probably have some app links on there.
0: Well, thank you. Kathy Cholick, uh, Director of Clinical Education, Professor of Physical Therapy at the University of Delaware. Again, very, very thank- many thanks for your time and your knowledge and expertise, Kathy. It's great to have you back on the show. We look forward to having you back again with all this, uh, especially with the fall prevention and Uh, you know, uh, retrofitting or or redoing a house and an institution to prevent falls. Thank you very much. Continued good luck. Have a great day. Hope the sun comes out down there in Delaware uh, soon. Thank you very much, Kathy, Um, for being with us. Thank
2: you very much for having me.
0: And uh, before we move into our second segment, a few uh, messages from some good friends uh, of the show, the Hecht Investment Group. We've been telling you about uh, Peter Hecht and his group at Janet Montgomery Scott over in southern New Jersey. which which provides concierge financial consulting and planning services. The HECT Investment Group uses a formal investment process as their foundation, and clients receive written and frequent communications as well as rapid response to inquiries. And as you know, especially in this volatile financial environment, there are few needs greater than our own when it comes to these issues. Additionally, Peter and his team can assist you in connecting to Johnny's investment banking department, which specializes in assisting middle market companies to achieve their strategic goals. And a reminder, and we'll be coming up soon on this because the first one is next month. Uh, the Hecht Investment Group will be conducting a series of workshops this year on issues such as Social Security, cybersecurity, Security, um, medicine, and end-of-life decision-making. If you're interested in contacting them, please call 856-291-5028. That's 856-291-5028. Toll free is 855-289-2168 and ask for Mr. John Connors for more information. And the Hect Investment Group is also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and then Facebook. And Johnny Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, FINRA, and the SIPC. I also want to mention um, a very, very important friend of ours here at Boomer Generation Radio, Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice. Their phone number in New Jersey is 800-229-8183. That's 800-229-8183. They remind us that while we talk a lot about sports or politics or the weather, uh, few, t- too few of us talk about what really matters most, the comfort, support, and dignity we choose if we couldn't communicate our best wishes and our most sincere wishes, especially at the end of life. If a surgery, accident, or serious illness prevented you from speaking for yourself, would your loved ones know your wishes, would you know theirs? So we invite you to call Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice, which reminds us that it is now time to think, to talk, and to act. Think about what you want, talk with those who matter to you, and act by writing it down. Again, the Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice, their phone number is 800-229-8183. And on the web, you can visit them for more information uh, at samaritannj.org. That's samaritannj.org slash conversations. And that will get you into some very, very important information about the Timely Conversations Program at Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice, it's kind of a gray and gloomy day. So to ease us into our second segment with uh, Lynn Pizer, who's going to be coming, talking to us about elder activists. A little back to the future with Aretha Franklin.
1: Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888 888- Seven five nine
0: zero one two eight. Good day again. Welcome back to our second segment here on Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the beautiful studios of WWDBAM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And again, we're streaming live all over the known universe at, uh, on the web at WWDBAM.com. Uh, Reach us at Boomer Generation Radio at Gmail or on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And again, uh, all the shows are podcasted on my website, JewishSacredAging.com. They're all archived, and we are very pleased to welcome in studio uh, our second guest, Lynn Eiser, from Elder Activists, um, local obviously activist organization here in the greater Philadelphia, Delaware Valley area focusing on um, elders, which covers a lot of age ground. Welcome, Lynn. Nice to see you. Thank you for coming in.
5: Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm very pleased to be here.
0: So talk to me real, uh, just to sort of like set the foundation. Um, What is Elder Activists? How did you get involved starting it? Why did you get involved starting it? What's going on?
5: Thanks for asking. I've been a part of what we might call the conscious aging or conscious eldering movement since I was 40. I'm in my mid to late 60s now. I'm 66. And at some point when my children were in high school and I was looking around the world and I realized that we had a lot of critical issues, I thought, you know, we need to get active as elders. We need to really get out there and and speak for what we know to be true, especially now that we have a little bit more time. I didn't have to be home for dinner as often, didn't have to coach the homework.
0: Carpooling.
5: Carpooling. You know, time was freeing up. I had more ability to think about things, read the Sunday Times or whatever I wanted to read, and Frankly, it was fairly um, concerning uh, much of the time, as I think it is for many of us.
0: So uh, let me let me ask you the uh, the group. It's a, this is a group, no? no it, it, talk to me. What, what is Elder Activist?
5: Elder Activist is a growing movement.
0: It's a movement. Uh, it's
5: a movement. I have a website. I have a blog that I write in. I invite other people to blog occasionally. I use their work. And it's a, it's a vehicle to raise awareness of um, who we can be as elders, what our role can be in our communities, our society, our family, and how to create the world that we want to leave as a legacy for future generations or to just speak for future generations elders have always done so it's a it's a it's a movement and a platform for getting information out and inspiring and educating people
0: what's the website just get that right out
5: great thanks for asking it's elder-activists Dot org. It's an org. It's an org.
0: <laughs> I always get my orgs and my comms and my nets and my edus uh, confused. Yeah. So it's an. It, so it's talking about this movement. So you, you're involved in organizing elders, um, not only locally here, but can I assume it's reaches out nationally? Yes. Okay. Yes. Give me an, give me two examples of what this movement that you've helped create uh, has done recently.
5: Oh. So we have actually just this past April, there was a large movement called Democracy Spring and Democracy Awakening. Um, it was actually started by a lot of much younger people in their 30s and 40s that were really concerned about the state of our democracy. How do we get money out of politics? How do we restore voting rights? <laughs> and as part of um, their their actions, they were having a week of civil disobedience in Washington. And I organized the second day of our civil disobedience as Elders Standing for Democracy Spring, and we had of 85 people that got arrested that yeah, day. I
0: think a friend of mine was arrested. I well, she if told you me. count me as
5: your friend, you now have a couple. <laughs> (laughs) You're
0: the second one.
5: Um, Quite a few people from Philadelphia went down to Washington. Of course, it's easy for us to do that. And um, overall, as you looked at the people that were there for the week or the two-week period, almost half of them were elders, you could tell by the gray hairs. Um, But on our particular day, we had 85 people risk arrest and did get arrested by the Capitol Police for sitting in. And the, the really lovely thing was that the younger people carried chairs for us, folding chairs, So that for some of the people that couldn't sit on the ground, we had folding chairs. And the Capitol Police offered us their hands, helping us to get up. So there really was a sense of acknowledging us as elders. And I'll get back to that. You asked me for another example. Mm -hmm. We had a a Grandparents Climate Action Day last September. And this was initiated by a group called Elders Climate Action. And it was a two-day conference in Washington, a day of um, learning how to um, lobby, lobby training, and um, some speakers about what it means to be an elder, about climate issues um a fabulous gathering with about 150 older people people of our age and then we um did a day of lobbying in congress the next day but before we went to lobby we stopped at union station and we did a flash dance um right in the union station which was really a lot of fun it's a great place to do it it's a great place to do it and i um it's something i had planned i was very very anxious about but as it turned out it was wonderful people did stand up and step in and dance and sing, and it was great.
0: Are you getting a sense that the, let's just say the baby boom generation, which carries a certain amount, to a to a certain extent, um, cultural baggage of the good old, what we call the good old days of the 60s and 70s, and that social activism mm-hmm. that a lot of us cut our teeth in when we were growing up, um, is that... Is that what you're tapping into? I mean, the, the, you did this when you were in college, you did this when you, were, you you did this in your 20s and your 30s. It's time to come back to this and and maybe because of that legacy issue?
5: I think that you just hit it on the head. The legacy issue is the important one. Um, people that have created this grandparent 's climate action work are really concerned as grandparents i don 't have grandchildren, but i I note that concern that people that do have grandchildren have and must be very similar to when you first have your children and you go from being that carefree person to understanding that you 've got somebody you have to take care of and you have to have a decent place for them to live and you know your your interests change because you have a child. I believe the same as happens when we become grandparents oh,
0: I, I I actually Um, never having believed this until I joined the club as I call Uh it it's a little different um, because there's a sense and I'm just speaking personally there's a sense that when you look into those grandchildren that you have uh, with your own children you watch them grow and and there's a certain Mm -hmm. letting them free with grandchildren you know you're never going to go where they're Mm going to go And it becomes – I really think there's a point for many of our generation which says, you know, um, I've raised my children and they're independent, we hope. But these little kids, what the heck am I going to – what are they going to take with them? Yeah. And what is so? What, within they, fifty years from now, when they think back to right. grandmom, grandpop, what are they gonna? What are they gonna pull out of that memory bank?
3: Mm.
0: I think that's really profound. I think it's a very spiritual thing. Yes, uh, I think it's extremely profound. Um, I have to ask you this question because this is this comes up in my work as I go around the country uh, for my sacred aging work, working with institutions and congregations, and I want to know if if the is what I call it in in my work. The economic regeneration is what what I call it in in my work. The economics of aging. Mm-hmm. To me, it's the social justice question of the next twenty to thirty years, because just about everybody I know, unless you're in that alleged one percent, wherever they are, I haven't seen any. Um, we're about one medical emergency away from real, real trouble. Mm-hmm. How do how do we begin to organize our generation to make them aware when most of them don't even have enough money saved up for their own retirement? Mm-hmm. Most of elders do not have pensions, four hundred one ks, whatever, 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 and a lot of it was wiped out in the mm-hmm. two thousand eight. Do you see this, or has, has there been a movement that you're sensing to begin to deal with this?
5: Hmm. Um, I think I begin to see it um, just as you're beginning to think about it. I just had this conversation with somebody else last night. Uh, how are we going to take care of ourselves as we grow older? You know, who, There's going to be so many of us. I think the only reasonable answer to that is that we need to form community. We need to be able to come together and learn how much can we depend upon each other. We need to go back to living closer to each other or living closer to a grocery store or living closer to public transportation so that if we have mobility issues or we, we can't get out so easily, we can't drive, you know, we can still get out, we can sit on our porch, we can see other people. Uh, neighbor could bring us a breakfast, even if
1: somebody well, else is bringing us yeah. dinner.
5: Um, you know, we're going to need to find ways to depend upon each other and close the gap of the quote individualism of America.
0: Yeah, with well, the village. I mean, we've interviewed some people, and I've done some research We put some stuff on my website too about the village movement and um, a growing sense of a need for. It's, it's part of the aging in place mm-hmm. phenomenon. As long as you can do it. Um, But I'm I'm also concerned not only about that, but just just the economics of not only Social Security and Medicare, but just – just the, f- the sheer finances right. of, of what it means to get sick in America right. uh, which we still haven't been able to figure out And
5: I think about this a lot as well as as you do some of my my original work was around what we call spiritual eldering and right. you knew Rabbi Zaman Shakhtar right. Shalomi and in that work it was a spiritual model of how do we do our work of becoming an elder or what I say is completing our lives this is the chance if we're lucky enough to have Um, an old age or a senior age Mm -hmm. that we get to really finish things out we get to fix our relationships we get to do the things we've wanted to do if it be paint or garden or be with grandchildren or you know take that last take those trips or study something but I think in that completion, we also get, if we really do the work of becoming an elder, we get a sense like, oh, I've lived my life okay. I know what I've done. I know where my successes have been. I know what I haven't accomplished. Well, that's everybody faces that, and I can live with that. And when we have that sense, we might not grip as much for I can't let go, I can't let go. I think that might be one of the... um Solutions to minimizing a little of that extended medical care that we receive in the last year of our lives where 's um, where
0: most of the money goes,
5: which is where most of the money goes. I think that the idea of um, conscious eldering about embracing being an elder is also leads us into this work of elder activists or what i 'm now also saying elders standing in the public square. Like, what is what are the words that we need to share? What do we need to stand up for? What do we need to say, I'm going to plant that tree for future generations, even though I know that I'll never eat the figs off that tree?
0: Give me the top three issues that you think that the, our generation needs to be activists, to, ac, activists about, which is a bad sentence, but...
5: I, I think it's easy. I think democracy is a big one that we need to get money out of politics, that we can actually have our government back and Mm -hmm. restore voting rights. Um, I think we need to be concerned with social justice issues of income disparity, of wealth disparity, and of racism. It's really a core issue of our country, and it's dividing us. and, And I know it's not good for my children's future to have a large cohort of African-Americans, black people that have been in prison that have no hope, that have no jobs. That's not a, a society that will support all of them. And I think the third one is, of course, the climate. You know, climate issues. How do we ensure that we have clean air and clean water and a, and a healthy world for 100, 200, thousand years into the future for our great-great-grandchildren?
0: Does it frustrate you that a lot of the stuff... That we marched on and 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 cared about, and you know, when when a few ge- decades ago, now seems to be unraveling.
5: It certainly appears that way. But having um, met uh, many civil rights luminaries back in um, Alabama this past March, I have to say that they said we've made a lot of progress. I could not stand this black woman saying I could not stand on the steps of the Alabama State House back in the 1960s. I can now. And there's a lot of work to do, so stop sitting around and talking about what isn't working and get out there and do the work because that's what we always have to do.
0: I want to come back to some of the work that we still have to do with uh, Lynn Iser uh, from the Elder Activist uh, Movement uh, here. And we will do that right after this message from our friends
4: down the street at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Since you Welcome back to our second segment here at Boomer
0: Generation Radio. Lynn and I just have to watch when the microphone comes on so we don't make sure we don't say anything untoward about anybody. Uh, Lynn Iser um, from the Elder Activist Network. The website again, real fast, Lynn?
5: www.elder activists with an S on the end.org.
0: In some of the background material that, that I looked at uh, prior to uh, the show, you say one of the um, motivating factors or inst- issues or, or organizations that was instrumental in your activism, continue our activism, is um, Pachamama facilitator, being a facilitator. What What is that?
5: Great. Thanks for asking. The Pachamama Alliance is a... Um, An organization that encourages people in the developed world, our world, to change the way we see the world and how we live so that we can have a more sustainable and just, um, fulfilling future for, um, as they call it, a human presence on our earth. And uh, they have a series of, um, they have a big symposium that people can facilitate, which is what I've done quite a bit of. And I first went to this work because I was trying to figure out, like, what's happening in the world? I don't, how do you make sense of it? And the, really, the basis of this symposium is what's happening in the world? what's true, how did we get here, and what can we do about it. So it's very pointed, it's very true, it's, um, it's got excellent information, and it helps to move from the I don't know what to do, I don't understand what's happening space, to the oh, I can make sense of this and I can figure out my my next steps. One of the best things they have now is what they call the Game Changer Intensive. It's an online seven-module um, course that starts every two months and it's got great information about the issues in the world today that you um, use the resources each week, and then there's a, a group that meets once a week to have a facilitated conversation. It's a very excellent material. And people always say, so what, is, what does Pachamama mean? And I, I love the word. It's an Andean word. It comes from the Andes and it's close to what we would call Mother Nature, mm-hmm. except in their context of the word, it's not just the physical earth itself, but it's the relationships between people. It's the spiritual understanding that is in the world. It's really the life of, of all that exists on the earth not just the physicality of the earth itself so it's a much greater concept of what we call mother earth or the the mother that really um, feeds and nurtures us which is not only the the earth itself but our relationships do
0: you find amongst the people who are getting involved with elder activists um, a greater understanding I think as we age uh, that everything really is interconnected in the universe that we are part of something larger than our own. It's a movement, a moving off of just focusing on the self to saying, look, we're a living, breathing organism. We are born, we die. We're part of this just cycle, this cycle. Right.
5: I think that's a growing understanding we're all we're developing, you know, from the, the time that we started understanding that Earth could really be called Gaia. And it was a living, breathing organism rather than some dead inert material that we lived upon or used um, and understanding how we're all interconnected whether and I and I'm so grateful for the internet because I feel like that's another way in which we can connect with people all over the world. Yeah, <laughs> and it, yeah,
0: it's kind of a, it's kind of amazing when you throw something out there and you, you get auto, automatically instant feedback. But it does it, it understood non-cynically. I think it is a, a, a metaphor for this interconnectivity Absolutely. Um, uh, around the world, are, are you also then noticing? That what I call the give back syndrome uh, amongst baby boomers, this attempt to say, you know, I've reached a stage in my life where I may have enough materially, um, but I, and now it's a time to give back something, to give something back to my community.
5: I think that that naturally occurs for people as they grow to a time when they might have a little bit more time, where they feel more comfortable with what they have, where they don't feel like they're striving so hard to care for their children or get them to college or pay those college bills. On the other hand, I think there's also a real intense inner urging that comes up that we've talked about, this idea of legacy. You know or our immortality what 's what is going to be how will people remember me that 's our immortality, and we want that to be good. The idea that we 're leaving behind a world that is in such distress hmm. is disturbing to people, and having a way to um, come together and address that discomfort that we have. So many people say, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. I'm not doing anything. It's just too big a problem. But when you sit down with somebody else and you say, well, there's a demonstration or there's somebody doing a letter writing campaign or there's a talk at the free library, people say, okay, I'll go do that and with you. you. And that's step. the beginning of right. how do we do this together? Small
0: steps. Just it's start. only
5: together that we can make it happen. Individually, none of us are that powerful.
0: Who is Joanna Macy?
5: Oh, I love her. Joanna Macy is a what we'd call a philosopher and um, deep ecologist. She has a degree in systems thinking and a Buddhist scholar. Um, She's a woman in her late 80s and still teaches, and she teaches on what she calls the work that reconnects. How do we reconnect with our love for the earth, with the love for life, and reconnect with our pain and honor our pain and use that to um, get us to go forth?
0: Um, and she was a inspiration to you because you, you, you write about her.
5: Yeah. Uh, she is definitely the, my most inspiring teacher at this point. Maybe mm-hmm. because she's a woman, maybe because she's older, um, mostly because she's so smart. And she has taken these different um, academic teachings that she has engaged in and brought it together so that it has a loving way of encouraging us to engage with the world and and not to sit back and just say, what can I do? Her last book is called Active Hope. Mm -hmm. And it um, encourages us to look at, well, what's happening in the world and what do I want? And to step towards what we want, not to worry that we can't achieve what we want because there's not enough time or we don't have enough resources or it's not possible. Active Hope is David meeting Goliath and going, I just have to do this. (laughs) Not whether... I feel good about it or I think I'll win, but i got to do this.
0: Speaking of active choice uh, and hope or active hope, uh, rumor has it, just a rumor, um, that there's an election coming up. Yes. And and some people have said that it's a fairly important election. And actually, the impact of of some of these social justice policies on elders – is extremely important Mm -hmm. how important is it for boomers and elders to make sure that they vote in november
5: it's important for everybody to get out there and vote it's important for each and every one of us to exercise our right as a citizen to raise our voice to speak for what's important to us what we think to be true and this is a critical election And we want to be sure that when we're making our choices, we're thinking not about what is frustrating us, but what we really want for the future and who will help to bring that forward for us.
0: We have about a minute left real fast again. Elder activist website. Somebody wants to get in touch with you. How do they do that?
5: They get on my website, elder org, or you can just Google it on the internet and um, just make a comment on the comment page. You know, I'm always looking for people to join me. I have some new projects coming up about bringing elders together to um, for climate change, for democracy, for social justice issues, and how can we stand together, speak in the public square. Um, speak for future generations because that's always been the work of elders is to speak for those of the future and be their voice in the present
0: the power of the legacy and suppose somebody doesn't want to go out and demonstrate there's still things for them to do there's
5: plenty of things to do educate yourself talk to friends bring up the subjects write letters call your congress people read the newspaper talk to your grandchildren
0: amen Lynn Eiser from Elder Activist, elder-activist.org. Thank you very much. Good luck. and hope we'll have you back and keep talking about what you're doing. Keep on keeping on, as they used to say. <laughs> to all Thanks, of you, Richard. thank you very much. For-